This morning, we come to one of the most shocking confrontations in the Bible. A confrontation that took place after the Apostle Peter offered to the Apostle Paul the right hand of fellowship. We pick up the account in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, Cephas is more readily known to us as Peter. It's the Aramaic nickname that Jesus gave to Simon and means stone or rock. In the Greek, it's Petros, from which we get Peter. And the one opposing Peter is none other than the Apostle Paul, the one to whom Peter extended the right hand of fellowship a few years earlier in Jerusalem. As we noted last week, there are risks in fellowship. You'll never have a conflict with someone you never get to know. And quite frankly, that's why some avoid personal relationships, even in the church. And Peter may have regretted befriending Paul when they met again in Antioch. Because it was there that Paul confronted Peter and opposed him to his face. Confronted him publicly. Now, that in itself is shocking. A public confrontation between two apostles. But then Paul says something even more shocking. He says he confronted Peter because he stood condemned. An apostle? Condemned? Now, is Paul suggesting that Peter was on his way to hell? And that's why he confronted him? Not necessarily. The word he used here is not the same word he used when he declared that anyone who would alter the gospel message is accursed, anathema, marked out for destruction. But it is still a strong word. It means something is wrong and is known to be wrong and that it stands condemned by God. Paul is at the very least saying that he confronted Peter because he was doing something that was very wrong, something that was, in fact, sinful. That he saw something in Peter's life that needed to be confronted. And while the public nature of the confrontation may have made both men uncomfortable, it is to Paul's credit that he confronted Peter to his face. He didn't gossip behind his back. He didn't express shock in hushed tones that everyone would eventually hear. He confronted Peter openly and publicly. And he did so because Peter's sin had been committed publicly. So what was it Peter had done? What did he do that was so terrible that it brought two apostles into a face-to-face confrontation? What horrible sin had he committed? I imagine our minds can wander to headlines that we read all too often of sins that are exposed in leadership of the church. What had Peter done? Well, surprisingly... 
What he did is something most of us wouldn't even consider all that sinful. He simply got caught up in something that we generally assume only affects teenagers. He fell victim to peer pressure. Yes, Peter petered out under peer pressure. And while we might think this no big deal, Paul did. So we better take a closer look at what happened and rethink the danger and the power of peer pressure. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 12. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. Still, that sounds like no big deal. But it is. It is. And we need to understand it. And so to come to an understanding, we need to set the scene just a bit. You know, apparently, at some point, the Apostle Peter decided to visit the church in Antioch. His visit isn't mentioned in the book of Acts, so we can't be certain when it took place. But it appears to have taken place while Paul was on furlough in Antioch after his first missionary journey or shortly before his return. By that time, the church in Antioch was rivaling the Jerusalem church in importance. It was there that the disciples were first called Christians. And it was the church that had sent out Paul and Barnabas on their journey to evangelize in Asia Minor, which is today the country of Turkey. It was also a church that differed considerably from the mother church in Jerusalem. Almost all the believers in Jerusalem were of Jewish heritage. The church in Antioch was a mixed population of both Jewish and Gentile Christians. And when Peter came for a visit, he knew that Jews and Gentiles there were worshiping and fellowshipping together, and that long-standing ethnic and religious walls had been broken down. He was also well aware of the fact that most Jews would never do that. They would never socialize with Gentiles. To do so would make them ceremonially unclean. And they certainly would not eat together. But he also knew that everyone was to be welcomed in the household of faith. Jesus had made it clear that the gospel was to be proclaimed in Jerusalem and Judea, where the population was primarily Jewish, in Samaria, where the population was a blended population of intermarried Jews and Gentiles, and throughout the rest of the world, which was for the most part Gentile. Peter knew that Christ had died for all mankind and had no doubt taught as much in Jerusalem. But in Jerusalem, his theology in this regard was seldom put to the test. Things changed, however, when it got to Antioch. Jews and Gentiles were in the same church, and they were actually eating together. Now, Peter apparently liked the unity he found there and quickly joined in the fellowship. He openly ate with his Gentile brothers and sisters. He no doubt shared in the Lord's table 
with Jewish and Gentile brethren alike. And he may have even gone into Gentile homes for meals. He did so at least until certain men from James came to town. Now, who they were, we're not told. And it's doubtful that they were actually official representatives sent by James, the brother of Jesus, and the leading elder in the Jerusalem church. James did, however, have a reputation for being faithful to his Jewish heritage. And the Judaizers, those who insisted that Gentiles had to become Jews before they could become Christians, no doubt sought to give authority to their views by using his name. But whatever the case... When those men came to town, Peter withdrew from his Gentile brethren. He backed off from fellowship with the Gentiles in the church and stopped eating with them. Why? Because he was afraid. He was afraid that he might be seen eating with Gentiles. But why should the apostle Peter be afraid? of the party, of the circumcision. What danger was he in if they saw him eating with Gentiles? None whatsoever. They certainly weren't going to kill him. And uh, they couldn't demote him from his apostleship. They couldn't even kick him out of the church. This is the apostle Peter. All they could do was disapprove. Just disapprove. And Peter was afraid of what his Jewish brethren might think. These were his friends from back home. They were guys he liked and and worked with in Jerusalem. And he knew they would not approve of what he was doing. So he backed off. He fell victim to peer pressure. Apparently, peer pressure is more powerful than we imagined. It's powerful enough to make the Apostle Peter stand aloof from his brothers in Christ. This was Peter, the rock. But he crumbled. He petered out. If it can happen to him, don't think it can't happen to us. For as Paul warned us in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Peer pressure can pull anyone down. Whether we want to admit it or not, it's a very powerful force in everyone's life. We do care what others think of us. And in spite of what we might say, it does matter. What our friends and neighbors and co-workers think of us. Give, give honest answers to some questions here. And if you do, I've got a feeling that at least one of them will show that this is true. Have you ever done anything you really didn't want to do? Perhaps even knew you shouldn't do just because someone else thought you should? Have you ever avoided someone for fear of what others might think? Have you ever done less than you could because it might upset your coworkers? Have you ever bought something 
you didn't need or couldn't afford just because everyone else had one. Peer pressure is more powerful than we think. And negative peer pressure can not only pull us down, it can draw others into our charade, into our hypocrisy. And yes, yielding to peer pressure almost always degenerates into hypocrisy. Let's read on. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. When Peter backed off, the rest of the Jewish Christians in Antioch took the cue from him and backed off too. Now, they'd been in fellowship with each other for years. They were friends in the church. But if Peter thought it was wrong to eat with Gentiles, they would stop doing so too. His action effectively led to a division in the Antioch church. They were no longer one in Christ. They were two churches meeting in the same location. Things had gotten so bad that even Barnabas withdrew from fellowship with the Gentile Christians. Now, he was the son of encouragement. He was the one who had accepted Paul when no one else would. He was Paul's co-worker and had helped lead Gentiles to Christ throughout all of Asia Minor. How had he been sucked in? Better yet, why had anyone stopped fellowshipping with their Gentile brothers and sisters? Was it because they had come to the conviction that it was wrong to do so? Had they received a new revelation from God? No. They hadn't become convinced it was wrong to fellowship with Gentiles. They were just afraid others might think so. And that they wouldn't approve. Apparently, however, they tried to make it look as if they were doing so on the basis of convictions. And that's why Paul accused them of hypocrisy. They wanted to give the appearance of doing something for the right reason, even though they knew they weren't. And Peter did know better. In fact, he had actually been given a revelation to that effect. Before God sent Cornelius to him, he revealed to Peter in a vision that there was to no longer be a distinction made between clean and unclean, and that what God had cleansed, no one should consider unholy. He then went into a Gentile's home, witnessed a second outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and baptized Cornelius into Christ. He even defended his action to the brethren in Jerusalem. So he knew better than to withdraw fellowship from the Gentiles in Antioch. But he did so. And he apparently tried to justify his actions. Thus, the hypocrisy. And if we're really honest about it, there's almost always an element of hypocrisy in yielding to peer pressure. I doubt if anyone yielding to peer pressure would admit they are doing so simply because they feel pressured to do so. Instead, we try to justify 
what we're doing. We make excuses for our behavior and put a positive spin on it. We're doing so so we won't offend anyone, so we won't hurt anyone. The reality is, however, that we are doing so because we don't want to be hurt. And we'd rather do something we know to be wrong than to risk being criticized by someone whose opinion we value. Apparently, even more than the Lord's. And that's exactly what Peter was doing. And that's why Paul opposed him to his face and let it be known that his actions stood condemned. Negative peer pressure is indeed a force to be reckoned with. And if it could bring down the apostle Peter and Paul's co-worker Barnabas, it can bring us down as well. So what stopped it in Antioch? What's the antidote to peer pressure? I think we discover it in what Paul says next. Verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, whether Paul was there when Peter withdrew or arrived shortly thereafter, we don't know. But either way, as soon as he discovered what was going on, he knew he had to do something. But how did he know he should do something? This was Peter, for crying out loud. And even though Paul insisted that his apostleship was as valid as Peter's, what gave him the right to oppose another apostle? You know, was this simply a difference of opinion that should be left in the realm of liberty? After all, there is much room for liberty and for differences of opinion in the church. And we don't oppose someone who differs with us on such matters. Should they have just agreed to disagree on this one? Absolutely not. Paul discerned that Peter and those who were following his lead were not being straightforward about the truth of the gospel that what they were doing was in direct violation of God's revealed will for his church. And when it becomes clear that someone, what they're doing, stands condemned before God, we must act. Now, we have to be careful here. We must not put words into God's mouth. If he hasn't said it, we must not insist that something stands condemned in his sight. It may not be wise, and sharing our opinion and offering a suggestion to a brother might be the loving thing to do. But we must not declare something to be condemned if God has not condemned it. Nor oppose a brother simply because we disagree with him. If, however... It has become clear 
that a brother or sister is acting in a way that is inconsistent with the revealed will of God, love demands that we confront and that we do so quickly, especially if others are following them into their sinful behavior. When Paul discerned this to be the case, he confronted Peter. And as we've already noted, he did so to his face. Doing so was not only appropriate because Peter's sin had been publicly committed and therefore needed to be publicly exposed as sin, but in doing so publicly, Paul created an environment where others would be encouraged to join him in opposing Peter's actions. In other words, he sought to use peer pressure to bring Peter to repentance. And yes, peer pressure can be a good thing. In fact, positive peer pressure can be the most effective antidote to negative peer pressure. That's why there are times when we should publicly confront a brother or sister, even those of high reputation in the church, those reputed to be pillars in the church. Confront them with their sin. Now, unless their sin is public in nature and therefore demands a public corrective, that's not to be our first Response. Jesus taught us to first go to his sinning brother privately. If that doesn't bring him to repentance, we are to then take one or two others with us to confront him. But if that does not work, we are to expose his sin publicly before the church. It's a dangerous thing to do in our society. But that's why we've got liability insurance. But we do so not to bring him to condemnation, but to repentance. We create an environment in the church where peer pressure is brought to bear that will hopefully lead to a positive change. And that's what Paul was doing in Antioch. And that's what we may be called upon to do in Chatham. If the situation ever arises, when we're called upon to oppose a brother to his face, I pray we will have the courage to do so. That we'll have the courage to lovingly confront a brother whose actions stand condemned before God. And that we will do so before he himself has to stand condemned before God. Now, there's no indication that this confrontation created a rift between Peter and Paul. In spite of their human weaknesses, they were both committed to the lordship of Christ. And they were both willing to surrender to his will when it was brought to their attention by brothers and sisters who cared enough to confront them. May we likewise surrender our will to his. And may we have brothers and sisters 
who care enough to confront us when it's needed.